0: you are listening to church of the oaks podcast where we exist to send disciple makers of jesus by being disciple makers of jesus for more information about our church such as service times upcoming events or how to join a group please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. This is something I've been um, excited about, but also I got a little, a little uh, fear and trembling in me about our time this morning, right? So we started a series last week where we said, all right, we're going we're to cover the whole Bible between now and the end of June, all right? So we got about 40-something weeks. I, I didn't do the math. There's like 40-ish weeks or whatever to go from the beginning uh, to the end, all Right, And lift up and see the, the storylines that God is weaving all across that book that you hold in your hands called The Bible. All right? But every story has a beginning, and this week we're going to hit the beginning, which is uh, Genesis chapter 1, a little bit of verse, uh, chapter 2. And as I was reading through that, I don't know if, if you're familiar with that, and maybe you've started a, a one year Bible reading plan about 14 times or something, right? Like, you've, you've read it, and there's the, the problem with Genesis chapter 1 is that we could spend 40 weeks on Genesis 1, you know? And I'm on, we're going to try to hit it in one week which means we're not going to hit it uh, with near the depth that it deserves. So before we jump in at all, I, I just want to like give you this. Like, man, as we're walking through this series, what I'm kind of figuring out as I'm starting to plan it is that this is like the, the time and the word that we share together, like when I'm up here and you're there, um, these are going to be jumping off points for you. This is not going to be enough. Like I'm hoping this morning that as we walk through Genesis 1, you're able to go back to your house at the end of the day today or like this afternoon, You can open up Genesis 1 and read it, and you can start just, like, meditating on some of the things that we're covering in here. We're going to hit nine points this morning. This is a nine-point sermon. All right, boys and girls? (laughs) Like, goodness. Um, That means that I have about two and a half minutes per, except I have to read all of Genesis chapter 1, so we're going to have, like, 90 seconds-ish unless we're going to be here all afternoon. So, like, I'm hoping this is a jumping-off point for you. Because we just sang something really significant in that last song. He he, we, he is worthy of it all. That we talked about like we that, that song mentioned creation talked about like how everything that is everything that is emanates from him, and because of that he is worthy. I want you to see his worthiness. So we're gonna jump in and see the beginning of the story. And so when you tell a story, you gotta set the setting and you gotta set the main characters, right? Like you learn this in you know, eighth grade English or something. That's how stories are supposed to go. You gotta get the main characters, you get the setting. Well, in our story, there is no setting yet, but there is a main character, you know? He just hadn't made the setting yet uh, and we're gonna get there. So you gotta introduce the main character. And so you come to this story, our story is no different. It's the story of the universe, but it's also uh, a story of a person. It's not my story. It's not our story. It's his story. The grand narrative of Scripture is a story about God, about His purpose, His power, His provision, His work to reconcile everything that gets shattered next week. He's the main character. Sometimes we come to the story and uh, we kind of get that a little bit backwards. We start, we come to the Word, we come to Scripture, we come to the Father, and we kind of um, uh, accidentally place our center, ourselves, at the center of the story. And he's supposed to orbit us and help us and kind of serve us and support us and give us. And it's not, we ain't the hero of the story. We come to this story, we open the word, we get to the first page in the first sentence, the first few words. We find the main character, the one whom this story orbits. That's not you. We're going to read the beginning of the story and like we have to start to understand him. all right? And so we're going to see God introduced right away right up front. We're going to see God introduced and then we're going to start looking for what we can learn about him at the beginning of this grand story. And as we go through this, like there's going to be nine points, right? That are going to cover truths about him as we walk through this together. Each one of those could be a jumping off point. Each one of those could be a series all into itself. There's going to be things that you're going to be taking apart in your tribe this week. This is going to be a tribe you want to go to and be ready for. It. Honestly, my prayer uh, for this, this time, in the word is that just one of these Would, would, would resonate in a, in a new and profound way in your heart And as we find one of these truths about this God Whom this story is about One of these truths that we're going to hit today Is going to hit you Alright So we're going to cover all nine But I'm praying at least one of those resonates deeply with you For you to reflect on You to chew on You to draw near to him because of Through this week Okay So we're going to cover the story we're going to look who the main character is, and we're going to find out who these, what these truths are about him. All right? story begins like this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God. There he is. There's your main character right there up front. In the beginning, God. And then he does something. He created the heavens and the earth. It says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before there's a setting, there's a God. That's your first point. There is a God. That's how the story sets up. It doesn't, it doesn't discuss his um, uh, uh, like creation, like it where, where he there just is. Before there was time, before there was matter, before there was light or darkness or anything else. There is a God. There's a presupposition of scripture that comes into this story saying there is this pre-existent, eternal God that precedes everything that you can imagine. And a lot more. Now, that presupposition is, is interesting, all right? That's, that's one of the presuppositions that some of us struggle with was whether that, point one, there is a God, whether that is true. Some of us, it, even if you're kind of coming into this from an agnostic perspective, you're like, okay, I think that is a little self-evident. When I look around, when I see what's going on, when I see the intentionality that seems to be behind all of this, yes, I can, I can get on board with that presupposition that there is a God that is some of you are here this morning, and you're still struggling with just that presupposition. A lot of us remember what that was like. But that's the beginning point of this story, that there is a God. Everything else, from beginning to end, from first page to last, builds upon that truth. There is a God. And then, immediately, you start to see him act. And in his actions, in the things that he does, you start to be able to discern some things about his nature and his intent, his purposes behind what he's doing, but, you know, which then lends itself to who he is. So we start with point one of there is a God, and quickly you get to point two, that there's a God who created all. It's not just any God, it's not just some random whatever you can make it up to do whatever you want, it's a God that spits in my pocket and serves me, there's a God who created all. It says the heavens, the earth, time itself, that's fun to think about at two o'clock in the morning, like time itself didn't exist before that. We'll unpack the rest of the story of him creating in a moment. But in creating all of it, he positioned himself as Lord over all of it. Not just like God inside of it or something, God serving it or something. He positioned himself as Lord over all of it. It's his. Like all matter, all creation, all time, it's all his. It's all dependent on him. It's all subject to him because this sentence makes him Lord of all for all time. So when it says that he is the creator, like God, he, there is a God who created all, that makes him Lord over all, including you and I. So instantly we, we find ourselves in relation to this God. There is a God who created all, which makes him Lord over all, which makes him his interaction with you shift. He's not a God that came to serve exclusively. He, came, he became he is a God who rules all, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's like, like is God literally his creation. You can also see something in those first couple of verses, you see them about his nature. So the third thing is that there is a God who is triune, like there is a three in one-ness to God. So most of the Old Testament is gonna reference God, the Father, but the Spirit's right there in verse two. See that? Spirit's right there. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, like the Spirit's there, the Father's there, the Spirit's there, but also John 1, where it tells us that the Son's there. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. See how that began? Genesis 1, 1. John one one in the beginning was John has it in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word uh, the Word was with God the Word was God He was in the beginning with God all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made in Him was life and the life was the light of men John is describing the Son the third part of the Trinity the one who came and dwelt among us, the one who gave his life on a cross for us, the one who defeated death, the one who rose from the dead, the one who we talked about walking down the Emmaus road, like you know, like preventing people from figuring out who he was and opening the scriptures and saying, from beginning to end, this is what the word had to say about me. He's the word. So you have the father, you have the son, you have the spirit all there in the first couple of verses. One of the foundational facts that we're gonna see as we walk from beginning of end to scripture from the first page to the last, we're going to see that this story, this, this Bible, this account of this God is ultimately a story of Christ being in all and overall. There's not a piece of this where like Jesus jumps into the scene and like shows up to fix some stuff. No, he's there from the beginning. He's going to be there at the end and he's present in your life, living and active. Colossians says that all things were made through him and all things were made for him. We just sang a version of that as well. Not just made through him, they were made for him. That gets back to that lordship piece. That This isn't about the father exclusively, it's also about the son. Genesis account, you see, you, a lot of times you think about, the, like it's just the father doing his own thing, but it's not. It's this triune God working as one. All things made by the father, through the son, empowered by the spirit. See it from the beginning. That's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. It allows the son to come and be present among us. It allows the spirit to dwell in our hearts. It allows the father to reign on high. There's this threeness to him. It's incredibly unique. So we covered a lot in two verses already, but the story hadn't even started yet. So verse three, finally get to get the story going. And verse three says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. You can unpack that forever too. He, he said, like, he's, God said, let there be light and there was light. You can have a super fun conversation about actually, exactly how that transpired and you're not gonna know because this is what it says. God said, let there be light and there was light. It's not trying to explain to you the exact physics of how that transpired. It's just telling you that he did it. It's not trying to explain how it explaining is through him. It's interesting that the one who it said would be the light of the world like through the one who is going to be light of the world, Jesus Christ, the Savior of all, the one who is going to be light of the world, light was created. All things were th- created through him, right? He's going to be the light of the world. The one who, all things were created, the first thing he created was light. He spoke. It came to be. God was the, God was the causality of that. It's not a thing you and I can identify with. And it says something interesting. Verse 4, verse four it says, and God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called it night, and there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the first day. God speaks light into existence, and he sees it, and he says, yeah, that's good. Like qualitatively, like, like the first, first, fourth point for us is like, there is a God who brings about good. That's a part of his nature. He speaks, he brings something into existence, and he declares it good. He is a God who brings about good. That remains true throughout the full trajectory of the story that this God is constantly at work to create, to bring about good. It's out of his nature. He's wielding his power in a way that brings about things that are qualitatively, objectively good. Not observably subjectively good, but objective like this is what good is. Because he's the God who brings about good. It's interesting that at this point, there's literally no comparative. It doesn't mean comparatively good. I'm getting a little heady for you, but this is like this is like Britain at three o'clock in the morning stuff, all right? There's no comparative. It's just good but there's only light but, but like he's not saying like it's good compared to this other thing cuz there's just the one thing but because of he gets to define what good is he is the definer of good can he observe what he created and he knows that it is good not in comparison god himself is the creator of good and he is the determiner of goodness it's the same it's everything he does, it's the same thing. Like when you have a sense of what right and wrong is, that's his fingerprint on you, his image bearers of God, which we're going cover in just a second. Like when you are like, hmm, that's not that's not that's not right. He's the one who determines that what that is. He's the determiner of goodness. And so when something doesn't set right with you, that's that's echoing something of him and his nature that he's placed in you. When something when something stirs in you, when you see uh, orange skies at like six o'clock in the afternoon at Target, you know you're leaving the Target parking lot about six thirty in the evening. The sky's the most brilliant, gorgeous thing you've ever seen in your life, and like something like something shakes in you in Target's parking lot. You know what I'm saying? That's his fingerprint. Who made that qualitatively good and who told you it was good? Something in you longs for a world that is right. Something in you longs for a world that is good and it just intrinsically you know like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. He is the creator of good. He is the determiner of good. He is himself good. Not in comparing it to other things, just objectively on his own. He creates good things. He's placed goodness in our hearts. We long to be a part of his goodness. It's written on all of our souls. We only made it through day one of creation so far, by the way. Day one of creation has concluded. It was a night followed by a day. God wasn't quite done yet. And verse 6 says, God said, all right, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse, Separate the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were over the expanse. Super fun. Got to discuss that another time. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And it was evening. And it was morning. The second day. Why don't you draw your eyes to that line where it says uh, that it was so? The end of verse 7 right there. You see it? It was so. He said, He spoke this, did this, and it was so. See that uh, what God intends to do? He can bring about. He's doing things that are incomprehensible to me, that are like hilariously beyond my power. Like my kids think I'm awesome and I can do all things. Um, Nope, like uh, there's, there's, a, there's a separation between us and, and him. He's speaking and like heavens are existing, all right? Like it's, and it is so. He's the God who can make all things so. That tells us a fifth thing about him, one, that he's all-powerful. This God is not just the creator of good. He's not just, is, there's, there's an all-powerfulness to him, which, by the way, has huge ramifications for the world. It has huge ramifications for our church. It has huge ramifications for you, as you look at the things that you face and the things that are too big for you to carry, the things that stress you out, the things that are overwhelming to you, the things that seem insurmountable to you and I, are not heavy for him. There's a peace that comes from getting to rest under the hand of the one who is all powerful. It's a peace that comes from recognizing that the one who spoke the universe into existence is on our side. Here's what I wanna do. As we go through the, the next uh, big chunk of this passage, we're gonna read a lot of it straight through, but we've talked about two key phrases, all right? We've talked about one that where he says that it was good, and another phrase where he says that something was so. It was good and it was so. And just to help, like, help us feel the weight of that, I wanna read through verses nine until I stop, all right? And every time it says it was so or it was good, I want us to say that together, like we do when Austin reads us, leads us through the passages. Are you with me? See what I'm saying? Someone pause. We're going to say it was so. We're going to say it was good together. Feel the weight of this. All right, verse 9. It says this. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And? And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that? And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. Trees were bearing fruit and which was their seed, each according to their own kind. And God saw that. It was evening and it was morning. It was the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there, let them be signs for our seasons, for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. And? God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that. evening, it was morning, it was the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that. God blessed them. Saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Let birds multiply in the earth. It was evening, That was morning, it was the fifth day. And God said, all right, let the, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kind and? God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that. God brings about land and sea and plants and animals and sun and moon and stars spoke it and it was so but he wasn't done like there's 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 still this key piece left like he's creating it's I feel like there's this building of excitement like the music like the soundtrack is like coming you know it's about to hit right humanity finally enters the story with this really unique distinctive verse 26 says this then God said let us See that us? That's interesting. Where I covered that. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Sixth point is this, there's a God who created us in his image. There's a God who created us in his image. Like Humanity is created with the distinction of being the only thing in creation specifically made in God's image. There's a uniqueness to that. There's a, we could do a, you know, a whole series just on what it means to be created in the image of God. Actually sounds fun. Maybe we'll do that next. I don't know. But like, while all of creation reflects his glory... Like, like everything he'd made at this point, it all reflects his glory. It all reflects his power. It all reflects his nature, but like only in part. And then this new thing comes. Like this, this man, this these woman, like is created in a way that reflects his nature and his heart, his character, as image bearers. Not just as created things, but image bearers. Now like, we don't carry his full nature, or his full capacity, or anything, but we reflect the, an image of God in a way that is completely unique among everything else in creation. There's something about you as you're sitting there, like, it, like you reflect the image of God in some very specific and beautiful, powerful ways that you may not be aware of. I mean, some stuff to unpack with your tribe. But listen, like just as a child of God, like you reflect his nature. Like when, when you think about um, people's natural capacity for goodness and justice and love and mercy, we all like, collectively understand, like those are good and valuable things. Like there's something in us that strives towards that, that like, wants to reflect those things. like it's a reflection of the image of God as an image bearer. That desire in, in all of us to create or care for creation, to seek the good of the world, to, de- to, de- to develop. that's reflecting the image of God. That stuff in us, that, that where there's a desire for us to have relationships, for us to be in community, for, for togetherness, like deep, intimate connection with another. <laughs> that reflects the image of God. also reflects the reason that why he created us in the first place. You reflect the image of God also, like as a male or a female. He's got it listed right there, like male and female, he created them. Each of those two distinctives, like reflecting the character and nature of God in, in unique and beautiful ways. Each created intentionally, each created specifically. You, as a man or a woman, a child of God, like as a man or a woman, you are, you are reflecting something about God that is distinct and beautiful. God was intentional and pur- purposeful in the way that He created you. So God creates people in His image. And now look at God's intention for those people. This is huge for us. This is intention for those people. Verse 28 says to about those people he created, it said God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, the heaven, every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said this, he said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. Like, you shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God's intention for people was to create them, to bless them, to provide for them, and then as we'll see next week, to have a relationship with them to be known, to be enjoy him. They were created to be blessed by him. Verse, no, no, verse 7, the, the point 7, that there's a God who cares for his people. There's a God who cares for his people. That's a foundational thought that a lot of us struggle with before we come to Christ. Some of us will get the idea, okay, I'm, 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 I'm all right with a God that exists. I'm, I'm okay, fine with that. But something in us like, has this doubt of, of his goodness. That comes from next week. What we see in creation, what we see in chapter 1 as the beginning of the story in his nature is that there is a God who cares for his people. That his heart is to bless. His heart is to provide for. That is his intention for every one of us. He sought their fruitfulness. Sought their flourishing. It seems that God ushered humanity in with at least a a reason was to enjoy what he had created to give that, and his generosity, and his kindness, to give to them something beautiful, something complete, something perfect. That was God's heart for them, to give them his best. The Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But a lot of us, we like to rephrase that, where we say man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's what you see in Genesis one, that God's intent was to create people who he could care for perfectly. That was his intent. Now, next week, we'll talk about how that gets shattered. And the rest of the story is how God's working to bring it back. But his intent is to bring about these people who he could care for. Bring, God, he brings all this about. Creates this beautiful, perfect universe to place these people in, to bless them and provide for them in every way. That's the heart of God. That's his intent for you. That's his care for you. That's his concern for you. what he says about that. Verse 31, God saw everything it made, and behold, it was very good. It was evening, it was morning, it was the sixth day. This originator, this creator of everything that is, looks at what he's done and says it is very good. Communicates his holiness, his power, his might, his intentionality, his care, his love, his concern, all of that is visible in the way that he created the way it was meant to be. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, all the host of them. Then it says this, But on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The eighth thing I want you to want us to see in this passage is that God is a God who intends for us to rest in him. And he's not this like we can say all those other things about God like we can say all the other stuff about his nature and he could be this distant like um, watchmaker kind of God. but this this gives a hint because like like there's something significant going on here like it's way bigger than God needing a rest day. You really think God needed a rest day? Like, I mean, oh, it's been a tough week. I'm going to take a nap. No, like that, he, that's not what's going on here. He's setting a pattern for his people. It could be this like distant watchman guy, but something about Sabbath and him setting a pattern for his people to come and rest, to stop, to move away from the toil and just come and be with him says something about his, his intent wasn't just something he was going to place these people in there and leave them alone to let them work the land and do the thing no it was to stop to rest to draw near he created them for relationship he created us you and i to rest in him by creating rest and also resting god declared something really profound that our our value isn't found in our production he's declaring that like our there's there's something more to be done than is endlessly toiled but there's something more significant than producing a little bit more. It's interesting, like the Sabbath, it, <laughs> the Sabbath shows up in the very beginning, but strangely, uh, we rarely show up for the Sabbath. We'll toil and strive and scrape for a little bit more. And there's something about this right there in the beginning that God's saying, hey, there's something bigger and better than that. It's Him. Drawing near to the one who loves you, the one who provides for you, the one who wants to bless you, the one who is all powerful, who can supersede everything you're working out anyway. And it says, just come, come and be. Just come and be with me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sixth day you shall labor, do all your work. Seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, the sojourner who's with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. And he rested on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath is a day to rest in his blessing. All right? So I don't know what Sabbath looks like for you. For some of you, this may be your action step. If you're a believer in the room, like, you don't have any kind of intentionality behind Sabbath. There's, there, that's, there's something to that. I want you to examine why that is, why you can't set the work down. Why can't you set the work down? Why can't you have a day to draw near to him, enjoy him at the exclusion of other things? Like, what, what, is that about? what is it about life that's not letting you do that? Maybe some action steps for us in that. There is value to our work, of course, right? Like, that, like he's called us to it, gave it to us. Like there's, there's also a lot of value in stopping. I think one of the big takeaways from the beginning of the story, it's our last one, our right, last point, and one of the big takeaways from the beginning of the story is like we, we find humanity created by the main character, not functioning as the main character, right? But there is a main character. He is the, his story. He's the one who is all-powerful. Like, he's the one who spoke and the universe has existed, right? He's the, he's the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. And a lot of times we get that backwards, Sometimes, like we walk into places like this, we just go through our day. Like we get that flipped, where, where it seems like everything else is orbiting us; that we are the hero, of the story, we are the main character, and God is one piece of this tornado that surrounds you. I just want you to see in the in the story, like it's not about you. I think one of the, the, the creation account; it's intended uh, to orient us rightly to the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who sent his son for us. The creation account orients us correctly. When I come back to the creation account, I always think about Psalm 8. I always think about Psalm 8 when I come back to the creation account. I read the creation account, and immediately I'm at Psalm 8 in verse 3. When David writes this, he says, When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In light of who you are, in light of what you've done, why do you care about something so insignificant, so sinful, so distant, so like (laughs) obstinate as me? That's the response that, Genesis 1 elicits out of us in light of what he's done, in light of what he's capable of, in light of who he is, the majesty, the glory, the grandeur of this God. What are we that he's even mindful of us? And how good it is that he's not just mindful. He sacrificially loves us through the person of Jesus Christ. counted us valuable enough for the Son to leave heaven, come to earth, to die at the hands of men. Be beaten and mocked and tortured and murdered on a cross. Like, what, like in light of who he is, what is he that he's mindful of? Let alone, what, is, what are we that he would come and do that? The creation account orients us correctly. The ninth thing is there's a God and you are not him. There is a God, but you ain't him. That's a huge thing for us to swallow because in our own eyesight, looking out from, from our own head, we are. We are the ones who are in charge. We are the ones who are orchestrating. We're the ones who are like bringing things about. We're the ones who have plans in a future. Like looking out through our eyes, we are God. And this causes us to reorient say, ah, oh, it's not, it's not. There is a God. Daniel 2:28 was a passage we talked about in men's Bible study this summer where it's like the king of Babylon is demanding all the wise men tell him his dream and then interpret it which is nuts and impossible right and so uh, he hears David can uh, Daniel can interpret dreams calls Daniel and then Daniel says listen nobody can do this nobody can tell you what the dream is that you had and then interpret it for you like nobody can do this but verse 28 says but there is a god in heaven Talked about like the peace of that statement, just like stopping and like, okay, just think on that, like reflect on that, just orient yourself around those few words. There is a God in heaven. There is a peace that that verse yields, that there's a power to that verse. There is a, uh, uh, just a refreshing that comes from just those few words, reminding you that you don't have to be God. That those things that feel too big for you, they actually are too big for you. They should stress you out. <laughs> that future that you can't see, that you're working so hard to secure, you can't. <laughs> it is too big for you. Those desires, those things you have in your life that you long for, that you just not figure out how to get any traction on, yeah, those are too much too. But there's a God in heaven. who is all-powerful who is perfectly good, who is entirely holy. And because his nature is to love, he also loves you perfectly. There's a piece in that. Most importantly, it's not just about handling all your stuff and your life and your struggles and your future. Most importantly, he's big enough to handle your sin. It's the biggest thing that you are not capable of handling. I am not capable of handling. He's big enough to not just brush you off when you fall short and give you a little bit of encouragement for the day. He's big enough to give you a new life for this life and eternity. You can't touch that. You have no power to do this. You can't overcome the sin in the first place. He's big enough to overcome the sin to secure a new life here and a new life in eternity. The only one's capable of that. This God that, that spoke the universe into creation, he is wise enough he is powerful enough to create a world to see it twisted by sin and then create a way to save it all in his own power he's enough for you he's enough for me genesis one all right this is what we've been introduced to we got the, we got the main character set up all right at the beginning of the setting we'll get that next time all right got the main character set up sin he's a god who creates all things he's three in one he brings about good about how he's all-powerful, he created us in his image, about how he cares for his people, how he intends for us to rest in him, not just endlessly toil. We're not that kind of God. We're finite, temporary people. He's come for, to have a relationship with, to redeem, to restore, to draw back to Christians, uh, that should drive us to worship. <laughs> that should drive us, us to praise. Like when we sing these songs, we come in this place, like just reorienting ourselves around the one who, who loves us, that should, that should change us at a deep level. And if you've come in here dragging a little bit and you've kind of lost sight of his glory and his holiness and his majesty, I'm telling you, you don't need to get a few more things done this afternoon. You need to go rest in him. Remind yourself of who he is. Remind yourself of what he's capable of. You don't need more. You don't need more productivity. You need more him. All right. Some of you, like Christians in the room, your takeaway is going to be centered around Sabbath, what that looks like, and what that's for. But if you're not a Christian yet, like I just need you to hear, like that the God that is capable of all of that—I know you probably have questions about that. We still have some too. All right. Like the God who is able to do all of that loved you enough to come for you. That the sin in your life, the sin in your heart, the the time that you've walked away from him, like there's a distance that you've created between yourself and the one who loves you perfectly. And he he loves you so much that he wasn't willing to abandon you in that and say, all right, that's the way you want to go, fine. He loves you so much that he came for you anyway, like the son left heaven, came to earth to get between you and the wrath that you deserved. That was your death on that cross that should have happened. He got on that cross in your place, in my place, took our punishment on himself, defeated death for us by beating the grave, roasting the grave, lives on high, like like interceding for us now, praying for us before the Father now. He's done everything that needed to be done, all of which you couldn't do. Offered all of that just as a gift. Saying to his children, his image bearers, if you want to have a relationship with me, I've done everything that needs to be done for you to come home. Listen, if you'll just, if you'll trust in that gospel and the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you'll trust in him by faith, turn from your sin and commit to follow him instead, you will be saved. Saved from yourself, saved from your sin and restored back to the God who loves you like this. This morning, will you say yes? Next step seems going to be back there in the back. Some of our folks who are believers who are trusted in Christ and they ready to talk with you about what that looks like, with how, that, how that would happen, how that would proceed. They won't have an answer to every question, but they've worked through some of the same questions you have. In just a minute, our band's going to lead us in a time of response. And if you're not a believer, that next step team is there for you. And say, hey, listen, I've got some questions about this. Could we, could we sit down and talk? Could we talk later? Could we get coffee later this week? Would you just pray for me? Absolutely. That's why that next step team's there. They're also there for those of you in the room who are believers who just need somebody to pray with you. Even it has nothing to do with the sermon at all. All right, sometimes I forget to say that. Like, we just want to be a church that prays for each other, and so you've got some members of your church who would love to just hear what's burdening you and pray for you. They're there for you. They're also there with stuff like that Sabbath thing. If you're like, "Listen, I don't know what in the world to do with Sabbath," like, can I just tell you my schedule and you just like tell me I'm wrong somehow that I can't? Like, how do I find the time for this? Go talk to them. They're struggling with the same thing you are. That's why they're back there. I love it in the weeks when there's so many people stacked up back there with Next Step Team that there's a line. That's the way it's supposed to be, all right? And me and Austin, staff, we're around throughout the week, but sometimes it's a lot easier just to just go back to a person who loves you, who's standing back there against the back wall. They're easier to find than we are sometimes, okay? So what's your next step? If you're a believer, what does this elicit out of you? Having come back through their the creation account, what does, that, what does that bring about inside of you? What are you gonna do about it? How's it change you right now where you sit? If you're not a Christian yet, and this is something you've been wrestling with and trying to figure out, what are you gonna do about that? Like, like we, we wanna be a church. We, we designed Oaks to be a church from the get go, two and a half years ago, where we could be a church where people who didn't have it all figured out, who had questions about faith, could come and find answers. We built this place for people like you. So ask the questions. How we respect the questions. What I, what I, what I can't respect it's so much apathy to say, listen, I don't really care. I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. I'm just going to push it out of my mind. I'm going to push him away. I'm going to push this away. And I'm going to go about in business like nothing happened. I don't respect that. But I do respect you asking the questions that are on your mind. Let us help. Let's walk with you. I want to pray for you. Um, and then our band's going to lead us in a time of response. And it's going to be your time to choose what you need to do, okay? Father, Father, um, I'm grateful for the, the, the opportunity to get to spend time walking through this story of creation. I, I, I know I can't do that thing justice. can't encapsulate what you did as speaking the universe into existence in a few minutes together. We see your heart. We see your nature in it. So God, I pray for myself for others that we would draw near to your heart. That we trust in your nature. That We lean into the fact that there is a God in heaven and I don't have to try to be him. Thank you for that truth this morning. Thank you for the great love with which you love us. Send in your son for us. You're far too good to people like us. So, God, as we worship, as we sing, God, hear our praise. Receive it. Because you alone are worthy. We love you. So your sons in pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.